From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. I am a happy camper tonight. This is what America needs. Republicans, you ought to be a part of this. But if you're not, we're going without you. That was California Congresswoman Maxine get-in-their-face waters urging passage of the nearly $2 trillion Blue State Rescue Plan approved by the House early Saturday morning along party lines. We'll be joined by Congressman Jason Smith, the ranking member on the House Budget Committee, who helped lead the opposition to the bill. And former President Ronald Reagan was known for saying personnel is policy, which is why we should be highly concerned about President Biden's nominees, chief among them, Neera Tandon, who has been tapped for the director of the Office of Management and Budget. The discourse over the last four years on all sides has been incredibly polarized. I'm asking about yours. Did you mean them? I really feel badly about them, Senator. Did you mean them? I feel badly about them. Did you mean them when you said them? That was Louisiana's conservative Senator John Kennedy questioning Tandon during her confirmation hearing about her attacks on Republicans. The former occupant of that position in the Trump administration, Russ Vogt, is here on why we should be paying attention to this nomination. I'll also ask Russ about his launch of the Center for American Restoration, which is focused on reining in the new tech barons that are trampling on our First Amendment freedoms. And... Good news. Another positive ruling out of the Supreme Court late Friday on religious freedom and the ability of churches to meet and hold worship services. The court, in its decision, slapped down California's overreaching bureaucrats and the Ninth Circuit for dragging its feet. We'll talk with Brad Dacus, president of Pacific Justice Institute, which helped secure the victory for the churches. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All the programs archived right there. If you miss anything on your way home, you can find it later. Also, if you're on the free speech alternative to Twitter, Gab, you can follow me at uh, at Tony underscore Perkins. That's on Gab, at Tony underscore Perkins. And also, to stay in touch with us, you can text the word STAND to 67742. That's 67742 as a means to stay connected with us. Also, I want to re- uh, mention once again, it's a pleasure to extend a special welcome to our new listeners tuning in through WPAE and KPAE of Sound Radio, reaching the greater Baton Rouge area and into Mississippi, including my hometown, uh, central Louisiana. Washington Watch can now be heard each weekday on Sound Radio. We're especially grateful to Roche Callender, who has made this possible. Welcome to the Washington Watch family. Well, they call it the American Rescue Plan, but who is it really rescuing? Over the weekend, House Democrats jammed through their massive $1.9 trillion spending bill over solid Republican opposition. Moderate Democrats Jared Golden of Maine and Kurt Schrader of Oregon were the only two lawmakers to cross party lines, joining Republicans in opposition to the pork-filled bill that has less to do with providing relief for the American people and more to do with bailing out mismanaged blue states and pushing a slush fund for Democratic allies. This includes the billions in subsidies that pro-abortion Democrats are using this bill to funnel for abortions, not only here in the U.S., but also abroad. Joining me now to talk about the left's 591-page excuse for a rescue plan is Congressman Jason Smith. He is the ranking member of the Budget Committee. He represents Missouri's 8th Congressional District and also serves on the Ways and Means Committee. Congressman, welcome to the program. Tony, it's great to be with you. Now, you led the opposition to this bill, uh, pointing to the fact that you're all for targeted relief. But so much of this bill has nothing to do with providing aid to the restaurants, small businesses, and the families impacted by the shutdown of the economy because of the coronavirus. That's that's exactly the case, Tony. You know, I call this the Biden bailout bill. It's not the American recovery bill. And we want targeted relief, but this is the wrong plan at clearly the wrong time and for all the wrong reasons. If you look at what's in the piece of legislation Less than 9% of all the funding in this $1.9 trillion package actually goes to healthcare spending that is used to crush the virus, to put vaccines in people's arms. But there's 511, well, it's $510 billion 
that goes to incentivize state and local lockdowns, which I refer to as the blue state bailout. They actually changed the formula from all the prior COVID bipartisan packages to help shift the resources that states that basically voted for Donald Trump will get a significant reduction amount of money of what they normally would, but states that voted for Biden will get a a very, very significant increase. For example, California will get a $5.4 billion increase, and New York will get a $2.1 billion increase. And states like my home in Missouri will get an $880 million decrease. Uh, Jason, let, let me let me just stop on that point for a moment because there's there's other factors here. Not only are the states who voted for Joe Biden, the mostly Democratic states, but they're also the states that held, had the onerous restrictions that shut down businesses and the private economy, which destroyed their own revenue sources. And so doing that, now they want to look to the federal government to bail them out. Who's going to help those small businesses? This money ought to be going to those small businesses that were basically put out of business by these Democratic governments. Where you could get bipartisan support is to help those 100,000 small businesses that their doors have been shuttered because those local governments, those state governments that lock them down, that shut their doors, they're the ones that's hurting. You don't need to bail out the states that actually implemented the policies to destroy those small right. businesses. It's all wrong. Right. You're absolutely correct. And I think most of America see that. For those states that did it the right way, they're being penalized by the Democratic Party in this bill. That's exactly the case. You know, the states that get punished the most are states like Florida, Georgia, South Dakota, um, Missouri, Texas. Uh, you see that, and it's, it's very unfortunate. Now, let's talk, uh, Jason, about the Republicans' attempts to try to minimize the impact of this and make the bill a, a, a little better, um, although it's, you know, it, it's hard to make a bad bill better, but I understand what the Republicans are trying to do. But you offered, and I say you, the Republicans, offered about 200, almost 250 amendments. How many of those did the Democrats take? Yeah, we offered over 250 amendments, and they only accepted two. And the two that they accepted, clearly I think it was a mistake because we're in the process, of course. We don't have in-person hearings. Uh, they they require us to have all virtual hearings. And so there's, if you if you watch them on C-SPAN, it's quite a get a bag of popcorn. It can get interesting because people will cast those crazy ways. And I think the chairmen of both of those committees, and one of it was financial services, uh, I think they voted the wrong way. And in fact, in the rules committee, those amendments were ripped out. Well, amazing. Uh, so much for a democratic process in which everyone has a voice in representing their constituents. That's clearly not the case. I want to focus uh, on, I think it was one of the amendments, Uh, certainly it was a focus of a lot of the comments, Republicans focused on a $140 million rail and subway system connecting San Jose with Santa Clara in the San Francisco Bay Area near Nancy Pelosi's district. There there was an effort to try to move this money over to mental health services for children. Uh, what does a rail and subway system have to do with coronavirus relief? It absolutely doesn't. And that's the whole when – when I started out earlier and said this bill was for all the ring, wrong reasons, you can go through line by line of the multiple hundred-page piece of legislation where it's basically payouts to a lot of their friends. This $140 million, which is in Speaker Pelosi's backyard, should not be in the legislation, along with the millions of dollars for bridges in New York, should not be in the legislation we're talking about targeted relief that's needed for the American working class, but this is not what this bill does. And that is extremely unfortunate. You know, we need schools to reopen, and there's over $130 billion in this package for schools, but less than 5% of all that funding will actually even be spent this year. If you look at this entire bill, Tony, and you take out the the stimulus checks directly to the people, if you take those out, 
almost half of all the money of this $1.9 trillion bill will not be spent until the fiscal year 22 or later. How does that help? How does that help us now? It absolutely doesn't. That's why I've said this is the wrong plan at the wrong time for all the wrong reasons. And also, not a lot of people talk about this, but we still have over a trillion dollars of funding that was spent on the five prior bipartisan COVID packages that has yet to be spent. So now you're looking at three, roughly $3 trillion that's out there to spend whenever there was a trillion in the prior packages that have yet to be spent. Uh, absolutely amazing um, and baffling. Uh, quite frankly. I, I, Congressman Jason Smith, I want to ask you a question about the education, because that's been a, a point of uh, of great contention about reopening schools, uh, the unions fighting the reopening, parents wanting them to reopen. I actually think it's it's opened the door to what's actually happening in public education. It's called is caused for private education to grow and people calling for the money to follow the students, not the system. But I, I, I do have a, a very practical question. What is the additional money, all of this money needed to open these schools that have been sitting on the money that they've not been spending um, because they haven't been open? Yeah, they look at different mechanisms to, for the safety aspect of coming in. But there is, like I, I mentioned, the trillion dollars of funding that has not been spent. A big portion of that is already school funding. There's school funding that was, that was passed in the five prior bills that has yet been appropriated. Some of the school funding that was passed in this bill at 2.30 in the morning, Saturday morning, it literally will not be spent until 2024 or later. It's just, it's awful. But you know what? Because we're going through what they refer to as the budget reconciliation process, because of the PAYGO Act that was passed in 2010, there's automatic um, financial sequester. And because of that, not many people are even talking about this, but Folks who are on Medicare will face almost a $36 billion cut to Medicare every year for the next 10 years just because they're going through this process. Wow. And we didn't even get to the minimum wage doubling, more than doubling the minimum wage and the impact that's going to have on people on fixed incomes. Of course, a lot of this could get caught up in the Senate uh, on the bo- bird rule, which we're not going to have time to go into, but we'll talk more about the, that this uh, this week. Jason Smith, thanks so much for taking time uh, to join us. Great to be with you, Tony. Have and, a great day. And, and thanks for uh, thanks for putting up the fight. You appreciate it. All right, that was Congressman Jason Smith of Missouri, ranking member on the House Budget Committee, talking about the uh, the circus that took place uh, Friday night, early into Saturday. We're going to talk more about this because it's going to be moving its way into the Senate. And so we're going to talk about um, this bird rule. How might that impact such things as the raising, uh, almost more than doubling, the minimum wage and, of course, the economic impact of that. All right, coming up next, we're going to be taking a look at uh, some of the President Biden's nominees. Russ Vogt, former OMB director, joins us to talk about why we should be paying attention. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. 
In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Gab, if you're not, you should be. Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins on Gab. All right, the Senate has been going through a series of uh, confirmation hearings, hearing uh, or taking uh, testimony for and against President Biden's selections for his cabinet. And some of his nominee nominees have had, well, let's say uh, it's been rougher for some than others. And that is... Uh, appropriate, given the ability that they will have to shape the policy of this administration. You said in your testimony that our budgets should reflect, your written testimony that is, our budget should reflect the values of a nation built on human dignity. Let me ask you about the views of human dignity held by tens of millions of Americans who consider themselves pro-life, describe themselves as pro-life. For years now, the Hyde Amendment has reflected a bipartisan commitment not to spend federal tax dollars on government-funded abortions, recognizing that Americans have different views on this issue. But one thing that overwhelmingly Americans have agreed on is we shouldn't use federal tax dollars to support or to fund abortions. If you are confirmed in this role, will you advocate that the president's budget request to Congress next year preserve the Hyde Amendment? Uh, President Biden has supported repeal of the Hyde Amendment. And so, you know, I will anticipate how that operates in the budget process. But that is a position that he took in the campaign and has held. That was uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley questioning near a Tandon President Biden's choice to run the Office of Management and Budget. Now, Tandon's uh, nomination has run into trouble, not necessarily because of her policy positions, but because of her hostile Twitter feed. Uh, that attacked many, many Republicans throughout the process. We played that clip at the beginning of the program. Well, join me now to talk about uh, Tandon and some of the uh, Biden's other controversial nominees is former director of the Office of Management and Budget, Russ Vogt. He is now president of the Center for American Restoration. Russ, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. Well, I can't think of anyone better uh, to tell us about the importance of the position of the director of OMB than the person who previously held the position. Why should we be paying attention to this? Well, I think the Senate is, has good grounds for being very concerned. The importance of Office of Management and Budget is to execute the president's agenda on all matters where you're dealing with multiple cabinet agencies. And so for something like pro pro-choice policies, uh, moving their uh, open board policies through the federal bureaucracies, 
that's why they're taking such a hard line with regard to OMB because they view it as something that has uh, tentacles throughout the federal government. And from their perspective, when you don't have someone that uh, they believe they have trust in to work across both uh, parties and, and to get a sense from uh, having an open door and an open mind, uh, I think that's very concerning. And for those of us who have care deeply about these policies, even more concerned. Well, I think many people have the wrong impression that the OMB is just it's filled with bean counters. This is much more than bean counters. These are the ones that see throughout the administration, as you said, the implementation of the policy priorities of the administration, because you follow the dollars, and that's how you influence the policy. Right. Every uh, dollar decision goes through OMB, but every regulatory decision goes through OMB. And then you have the management uh, function in terms of getting uh, agencies in a room to figure out where they might be going in different directions. And that's clearly why President Biden put uh, Nira up for this nomination, because he knew he would be getting a a, a hard left ideologue uh, that had ideological consistency with his administration. Uh, And for those of us uh, who have great concerns about the direction this administration has shown that it wants to go in in the first month, uh, I think that's uh, pretty revealing as to where the sense coming from. So you would say that Joe Biden's selection of Neera Tandon, it's not a one-off, like, you know, he just made this this pick to satisfy his base. This really reflects where he wants his administration to go. I do, and I think it's also, you know, he has invested a tremendous amount of power and authority in his chief of staff, Ron Klain, uh, Ron Klain has fought for Nira tremendously. Uh, this is a chief of staff that knows uh, how important OMB can be and needs to be for a, a White House to function properly. So I think this is all strategic uh, and one of the reasons why they're fighting so hard. And, and it really will come down to today after her, her meeting with Senator Murkowski. Uh, Russ, I want to go back in time for a moment to your confirmation in which uh, Bernie Sanders uh, came after you for your views, uh, your your theological views. I, w- I want to play this uh, this clip real quick. Listen to this. I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals. And do you think your statement that you put into that publication, they do not know God because they've rejected Jesus Christ, the Son, and they stand condemned? Do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly with regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ in salvation. I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee um, is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. I will vote no. Russ, that going back to that moment, you were just to give context to our listeners, you had written a blog post defending uh, your alma mater. It had nothing to do with political your political position. You didn't have one at the time. It had nothing to do with politics, but yet that was used. I want to when we come back, I want to juxtapose that to the political tweets of Neera Tandon attacking members of the U.S. Senate and how that should just be, you know, forgotten. But yet a, a, a biblical message that you gave unrelated to politics somehow crosses the line. Russ Vogt, my guest, we're going to return with him after this break. He's also going to share with us a new venture that uh, he has now embarked upon, the Center for American Restoration designed to hold the big tech barons accountable for their trampling of the first freedom. That's coming up next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. We're back with more right after this.
The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org/china. Oh man, what's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah. Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org/app and download, or search "Stand Firm" in the App Store. Okay, that's "Stand Firm." Yep, "Stand Firm." How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. My guest in this segment, same as the guest in the last segment, the former director of the Office of Management and Budget under President Donald Trump, Russ Vogt. Uh, Russ, thanks for sticking around. I, as we were going out, I played that clip going back to your confirmation hearing with uh, Bernie Sanders. And as I was mentioning, uh, Neera Tandon, uh, who was at the center, president of the Center for uh, American Progress, very liberal think tank advocating everything f- for the left, everything radical that's on the left. And, you know, she attacked a lot of Republicans. And that seems to um, might be what puts her nomination in in trouble. But I, I want to ask you this question. Is there a double standard here between the left and the right and how the, the left views the speech of those on the right? There absolutely is. The left is willing to use anything that is in the public domain, regardless of, of uh, whether it pertains to the day-to-day uh, ability to, to do the job. And, of course, in the Constitution, you, we're not supposed to have a, a religious test, and yet we've increasingly seen uh, that play a part in my nomination or in Amy Coney Barrett's uh, The Dogma Live Loudly in You uh, right. nomination. Uh, and so, you, you know, it, with regard to these tweets, it, it, it does get directly to the ability to do the job, not just from your ability to work across uh, party lines in the Senate, uh, but also in terms of how you treat people. And do you treat people uh, with dignity and respect? And, uh, and, and I think that's the kinds of questions the senators are trying to get a handle on and to see, you know, we know the tweets. What else do we know to get a 360 view of how Nero will do in the job? Well, in facilitating this increasing, uh, increasingly a prominent double standard is social media and the big tech industry. And that is really what you're focusing on as the uh, president of the Center for American Restoration. Share with our listeners what's uh, what you are doing and what you hope to accomplish. Sure. This is our first fight out of the gate, and we want to be engaged in the America First cultural issues. And we started here because we we feel that both in this issue and in election integrity, if we lose on these two issues, we will lose our voice and we will cease to be a, a people that can impact our government for, for change and for reform. One of the things that we uh, did this last week was work uh, to get a number of different organizations on the record to say that we conservatives care about concentrated corporate power. It's not just big government that we care about. Concentrated corporate power 
that also is uh, throwing its weight around in, in a monopolistic fashion in, in anti-competitive behavior is something that's really problematic, and we have laws on the books to address it. And that's the kind of thing that we're uh, trying to build momentum for. There's a lot of great members who are doing good work on this, Josh Hawley, Ken Buck. Um, they're increasingly looking in the area of antitrust to make sure that these companies, the big tech uh, oligarchs, are not making it impossible that they face competition. And we've seen you know, the, their shutdown of the president, um, their shutdown, Amazon, uh, two weeks ago now, uh, took Ryan Anderson's uh, transgender uh, book analysis off of its platform. They're shutting down conservative voices, and we've got to stand up and say this is not what being free market uh, uh, conservatives looks like. Now, Russ, I would assume that in order to accomplish it, I mean, maybe there's some legal action that could be taken, but, um, you know, you're going to have to see a change of players in Congress because the Democrats benefit from this biased nature of the big tech industry. They do, and they want to go uh, even, they want the big tech to, uh, uh, companies to go even further to restrict speech, and that's the, the problem. They have opened, been open to some uh, reforms on antitrust, but we got to make sure that they don't use under their uh, banner of antitrust efforts to just use this as a precedent to break up all of corporate America. That's not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to see, use the laws on the books to make sure they're updated for the, the moment that we're in and to be able to address uh, the abuses of big tech and to make sure that not all lawsuits in the space are thrown out of court for lack of standing. So are there opportunities through the court system now that we have, uh, you know, a lot of judges appointed by Donald Trump who adhere to the Constitution. Are there uh, opportunities there to maybe rein in big tech? We think so. Uh, but I also think that it may require some updating the laws because some of the the doctrines that have uh, grown up in the space to get a handle on uh, a little bit of, of antitrust over the decades being out of whack may not be uh, updated enough for the purposes of big tech. So it is entirely possible that some of these great conservative judges will, in our minds, construe the law correctly. Uh, but it also may be something where we need some tweaks. So I think it's going to be requiring all of the above strategy, Tony. We've also got great governors like Ron DeSantis that when the session opens up soon, Florida is going to be rolling right. out on state initiatives, and I think all of the things, all of these efforts are important. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right in pointing to this as one of the key, uh, or the linchpin, if you will, to our ability to influence our government going forward because of our voices taken by big tech in collaboration with the left. Um, it's not going to be a pretty outcome. Russ Vogt, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we certainly uh, pray that you are successful in this undertaking and look forward to working with you uh, to hold big tech accountable. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. All right, uh, Russ Vogt. To find out more about his new undertaking, go to TonyPerkins.com. Follow the links over. Look, many hands make the, uh, the lifting a little easier. Uh, and that's what we need. We need more people in the battle. And I'm so grateful that there's a number of people coming out of the administration with uh, initiatives like this. All right, coming up next, Brad Dacus, Pacific Justice, here with a positive Supreme Court decision on Friday. That's next. Don't go away. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com.
Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservatives, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. This is Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform, Gab, it is at Tony underscore Perkins. That's at Tony underscore Perkins. And uh, let me encourage you, if you'd like to uh, participate or I, I, I do a morning Bible study, devotion, short, uh, you can even you can watch it on Facebook. Or you can now, we're, uh, we're beginning to post it at TonyPerkins.com each morning. So you can uh, look at that as we go through our two-year journey through the Bible, Stand on the Word, which is also available to you. You can go to frc.org slash Bible and download the reading program. I think it is extremely important for us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, to stay in his word, especially, it's always important, but especially now. In these times where we see the culture moving rapidly in the wrong direction, where the news that we hear, I believe it's intentional, but it is negative. It is counter to a biblical worldview, and it becomes very discouraging. And it's having the effect, or it could have the effect, and it is having the effect, of doing one of two things. It, It makes people angry, and they're frustrated, they're anxious. And then it also causes some people just to throw in the towel and give up. And, and we, we cannot do either one. We, we don't need to be angry. We don't need to be anxious. Scripture says, be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And we're called to be salt and light, so we can't throw in the towel and give up. So how do we sustain ourselves? Well, you've heard me mention it before, but Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18... He tells the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. And he begins that with, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And it's not just prayer, but it is persistence in the truth of God. And so we need to be reading the word of God. We need to be meditating upon it. We need to be praying and we need to be standing firm in our faith. And that's why this next uh, story, my next guest, is, is encouraging because I think the the effort, and you've heard me talk about this many times, but it bears repeating, that the effort to shut down the churches was not accidental. I believe it was intentional. And we're seeing the results of that. Communities that are 
I mean, in, in, devastated. I mean, you look across the country and you look at teen suicide and depression rates are up. You um, obviously the political engagement is one. And I think that was part of the reason. But the church provides a, a the Bible believing church, the Bible preaching church is the salt, the preservation. It is it has the preserving effect upon communities and, and nations. And that's why it's so important for those that have been battling to meet, to be open, uh, to be able to minister to their communities. And no place has that been more pronounced than in California. And uh, Brad Dacus, president of Pacific Justice Institute, uh, has been leading the charge among many California churches. And on Friday uh, was able to secure a Supreme Court decision, a 6-3 decision on Friday that overruled California's Ninth Circuit. It slapped down Santa Clara County for their onerous restrictions on churches. And now churches can meet more freely, and I think we're on the way to seeing them back as they were before. Um, and so this is a great victory. And uh, Brad, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I was I was real encouraged. And uh, in fact, you know, last Sunday I was uh, I guest preached at a church, and two Sundays before that, guest preached at another church, and uh, we're seeing things really open up. But Santa Clara County, the home of big tech, uh, Silicon Valley, they were obstinate, uh, Tony. They were just going to um, keep every church closed, uh, no indoor services, and uh, we got an injunction initially at the district court level, and then he reversed himself and stated, and the Ninth Circuit says, yeah, we keep Santa Clara keep those churches completely closed. Um, so uh, we're very pleased to get the emergency injunction that we sought from the Supreme Court granted six to three. It's not easy to get an emergency injunction, uh, but uh, this court sees it, and it should be a, a major encouragement, a, a major light at the end of the tunnel for, uh, for us and our, our struggle to make sure that this uh, does not happen again in the future. And I'm very optimistic that we've got the precedent to keep this total shutdown of churches from happening again in the future. So, Brad, explain to our listeners what this means with this emergency injunction by the Supreme Court. Is this the final word? What what might be next? Yeah, that's a good, a good question. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it's not the final word on the case. What it means is, because uh, it's it's going it's it's being heard on the merits uh, before the Ninth Circuit. You know that's that's looking at all the facts and everything and the arguing issues of law. And we're litigating that hard. Our chief counsel Kevin Snyder is litigating that, working on that with our team of attorneys. Uh, what this means, though, is the Supreme Court said, um, "Okay, we're going to go ahead and not wait for the Ninth Circuit to stop something that is we're convinced is uh, an egregious." potential violation of rights. So open up the churches in Santa Clara County. Let them have indoor services, uh, you know, safely, prudently, but let them have indoor services until the Ninth Circuit decision, you know, they come down with their decision, and until that comes up to us and we rule completely on the merits. In their decision, they said, at that time, um, we'll decide whether this is a permanent injunction or whether we uh, throw out the injunction altogether. He said, but they said in the meantime, six out of the nine said, uh, to us, it's pretty blatantly a violation of our, of our precedent that we've already set in the New York case. Um, you know, open up these churches in Santa Clara County. They may think being Silicon Valley, home of big tech, that they're somehow aloof and separate. Um, the Supreme Court didn't buy, buy that and uh, said, no, you're, you're like all the other counties in California. You're you're held under the same constitution. So, Brad, while this is not the final word, it certainly bodes well for what that final word might be. Yes, it's 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 unusual. It's very unusual to get an emergency injunction from the United States Supreme Court while something is still pending at the circuit court level. Uh, this is not very normative. All it's highly unusual to get this. Uh, the fact that they were willing to grant it is very telling, very, in, a, in a very good way, of what we can expect at the end of the road in, with this case. And I believe this court is is setting the, the case law now to basically say, as they're having the New York case and they did in the case out of San Diego, uh, basically they're saying that 
in the future, if there's ever a shutdown of churches, you have to give them the same rights and privileges of uh, any other secular or, quote, essential uh, institutions like airports and subways and, and, and the like. I think that is effectively going to prevent a complete shutdown of churches from happening in the future. We may have limitations. We may have, you know, uh, occupancy restrictions, but it can't be any more stringent than what's applied to secular institutions like stores and other other gathering places. Well, so that's what we're looking forward to going going forward with this case law thanks to President Trump's appointment of Amy Coney Barrett. Well, let me focus on that one aspect for a moment, Brad, because some of these bureaucrats and leftists in government can be very creative. And one of the arguments that uh, the county made was stating how churches are not technically closed. They are allowed to operate at 20% capacity, but they just can't worship together indoors. They can People can come in and pray. They can go to bookstores, but they can't gather. And, and that is across the board. No one else can gather either. Well, I mean, that's, that, that is so, well, egregious because... What is the business of a church? It's a place where people gather together for worship. That's like saying you have a donut store. You just can't sell donuts. Right. And, well, they, they argued that. They said, look, everything else, you know, they're, they're not being treated differently. We pointed out factually that they are being treated because the county uh, airport, uh, the airport in Santa, in San Jose, um, is owned by Santa Clara County. It's county property. So uh, it's under their jurisdiction. Well, that airport does not have limitations on occupancy. It's filled with people. The airplanes docked in that airport leaving are filled. Yeah. Every chair is filled. Every yeah. seat is filled. So uh, the court, you know, looked at transportation earlier. We're convinced they looked at it in our observations that we had well documented in our litigation, uh, as well as other forms of, of, of gathering and transportation. So the court didn't use their narrow uh, uh, perspective. They looked at the big picture and said, no, churches are essential effectively, and, and they're entitled to, at the very least, the same degree of occupancy and function as other in, uh, forms of gathering, including airports. I'm sure that was a part of their, their thinking uh, in rejecting uh, Santa Clara County's reasoning. So, Brad, this, uh, this has been almost a year-long struggle uh, for many churches uh, there in California in particular because of Gavin Newsom and his uh, overreaching uh, regulations on, on the churches. But this really comes back to a point I've brought up many times on this program is that this court case, while it was a, you know emergency ruling and we're, we'll be waiting to see the final outcome, you wouldn't even have gotten this far had there not been pastors and churches willing to challenge the overreach of the government. Absolutely. Uh, we cannot, Pacific Justice Institute cannot file a lawsuit without a client that, to defend a uh, plaintiff. And we had five churches there in Santa Clara County that stepped up. We gave them very wise counsel, mind you, so they would not be in a predicament of having, you know, millions of dollars of judgment against them losing their buildings potentially. We were very wise in how we counseled them. At the same time, um, they were prudent, and yet they were also bold uh, to allow us to to represent them in a way that we could get the case up to the, the Supreme Court. Uh, I also want to encourage people, like with regard to the, the Governor Gavin Newsom, it looks like there will be a recall election. It uh, looks like they're going to definitely have the signatures. And um, there's a lot of businesses out there, Tony, that are also very frustrated, very angry, across the country in, in blue states, in purple states. And so um, to help them, we developed an 18-page legal analysis, a memorandum on how churches, how businesses can reopen in spite of uh, tyrannical governor orders to the contrary. And uh, that's been very empowering for people in the business sector as well. And that's on our website at pji.org. And I encourage you folks to, if you're in business and you're in one of these states that has the overreaching, tyrannical arm of a Democratic governor, mayor, uh, look at this data. And there are public interest law firms like Brad's at Pacific Justice that are willing to represent you as you stand justifiably for 
your First Amendments. And Brad, that's the, the point I wanted to underscore, is that we keep our freedom only when we use our freedom. To say we have it, but lock it away and not be willing to challenge government when it crosses the line, you know, by our silence, we acquiesce to their overreach. Exactly. Uh, the uh, it's, it's one thing for churches to say, okay, we're going to be prudent. Um, we're going to do what we can to, to be safe and be above reproach so no one blames us for a, for a pandemic. It's another thing for churches to throw in the towel and just say, we're going to allow our we're going to forsake the congregating together completely and let our churches be shut down and have no uh, indoor services in the wintertime. That's often the only kind of church service the church can have uh, for obvious reasons. So um, it's, it's real important for churches to, to understand, unless we lay claim to our rights uh, with society we have today, unfortunately, and, the, and they grow to the obvious hostility that we're facing as people of faith, we will lose those rights unless right. we lay claim to them and uh, to do so wisely and professionally. And that's what we at Pacific Justice do without charge in uh, 11 offices all across the United States, coast to coast, uh, where we're here to serve anyone uh, needing assistance without charge. And I, I think I want to go back to the point you made that, you know, we, we need to approach these things with, with prudence. We need to uh, use the, you know, the, the, the sound science, not the left's manufactured science. The, I, I don't right. trust people that can't tell the difference between male and female, uh, so I don't trust their science. But you look at the science, and 98% of the churches, when this first came out, you know, they shut down for a while because the president, uh, President Trump, said, hey, we got to slow the spread. But that 15 days turned into 30. Uh, then it's, you know, nearly a year. Uh, at some point, you just have to say, wait a minute, we did our part, but we we don't see the sky falling as some right. predicted would occur. So you, you just have to you have to, as many of the pastors, and I'm sure the ones you're dealing with have ultimately come to the decision of who do you obey, God or man? And we're going to take our chances with obeying God. Right. And, and initially, it, we didn't know if this was going to be the bubonic plague. We didn't we didn't know. Right. Um, now we do. <laughs> and uh, science and statistics is and rationale is uh, rationality is based uh, in supporting uh, the position of allowing yeah. churches to once again meet, and um, and 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 so I, I I think churches are in a very strong position. Uh, the the doctrine, the Jacobson rule that the court was initially using, saying we have to defer to the government, let the governors do what they want. We're not scientists. Um, there's only three judges on the Supreme Court now that have that position. Yeah. Um, we have the, the rest of the judges respect the First Amendment and that churches are essential. Uh, I'm I'm very optimistic, Tony, moving forward. But we can't we can't let up. All we right. need to continue this fight, and I'm very optimistic well, in the end that we'll prevail. Brad, we're out of time, but I want to congratulate you on a job well done. Great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. And, folks, thank you for joining us as well. And I encourage you to check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.